What a subject, uh, the love of God. You know, as we go through this passage, you're almost going to have us read the entire passage and then say, what do you think of the theme of this passage? Is? But, uh, I decided to just let us read those two verses and come up with the theme itself from the text, God is love. And all the way through verse 3 of chapter 5 is where we are this morning, but a, a constant reference to God's love. And the question that comes to my mind is, is, what kind of love is God's love? Before we let the scriptures answer that, I'm reminded of several things. You know, several years back we had a, um, we had vacation Bible school every year, but several years back, one of the theme songs had to do with God's love. We, the kids were here this morning, we had them come up and do L-O-V-E. Find a way to listen, help, love your neighbor as yourself, spend your time on someone else. Come on. Find a way to show some grace, help your neighbor run the race, put yourself in second place. L-O-V-E. God's life is reflecting other. L-O-V-E. Share it with one another. Come on, everyone. Reach out and love someone. L-O-V-E. So we're going to call that one. We sang a family camp and just glorious to watch the kids do the hand motion. You know, the world is struggling to find love. And I will go as far as to say that there are some that within the body of Christ that are still seeking to know a depth and reality of the love of God. Speaking of the world, secular music centers most secular pop songs center around a couple of different things, one of which is love. Uh, old country song way back, I forget who the artist was, uh, something lady, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. You know. You probably suck you're driving down the road, right? And you're thanking the Lord that you're no longer looking for love in all the wrong places. you found love. Wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding, whether secular, religious, or even civil, often goes straight to the love verse, right? First Corinthians 13, love suffers long. But that verse often deals with what love does. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Does not provoke intentional evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. There's all things, there's all things, there's all things, love. Does those things. But what is the love of God like? 
Perhaps some of, this morning, of us this morning are familiar with parental love. Uh, I hope you can sit in, in earnest this morning and, and say, you know, my father, my mother, my grandparent, my aunt, my uncle, whoever raised you from a parental standpoint, they loved me. I, I, I knew love from them. Perhaps as a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, you can fully embrace the idea of, of being love poured out for your child. Maybe you have the joy of knowing that your siblings love you. Maybe you have a love of things, nature, art, love of people, but what kind of love is God's love? That's what we want this brief time together, going through what may be familiar verses or unfamiliar to us this morning. That's what we want to look at. For I think there are really nine descriptions that emerge from uh, our passage this morning that that are not only worth consideration but um, important for consideration each and every day of our lives. Now, one of the things that may help this morning is, you know, we're going to talk about love. So, oh my goodness, we're going to be on love for a half hour, right? But I find that sometimes if you you pull out that pen or you take a note or you sit up and we have this attention going on. I'm going to do my best to keep your attention. Uh, but, you know, I'm just me. It, it will take the Holy Spirit to keep your attention throughout this whole thing. Uh, but sometimes writing helps. Sometimes marking your Bible helps. Uh, oftentimes in Bible study, those are the kind of things that that pull our attention and keep it there. But then I know also this morning that God has a word for someone here. God has a word for you about his love. I'm convinced of that. A word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. And as we go through this, I believe that the Lord will speak. So, nine descriptions or explanations of what kind of love is God's love. The first comes to us right there in what we read this morning. It is an evidence of spiritual new birth. Verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for God, uh, for love is of God. And notice this line here. For everyone who love is what? Born of God. And of course, as we deal with the word love all through this passage, it is the New Testament Greek word agape, which is a coined word for God's love. There are several kinds of love. There is, um, you've heard or studied, maybe this is new information for you, uh, in the New Testament, the Greek words uh, two others that I'll give you that you would be familiar with. One is uh, phileo, 
Okay, it means like a brotherly love. That's where we get the name of the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo. And that's replete through the New Testament in various places. There's another word, eros, which is where we get our word erotic. It is a, a sexual, a physical love. But all through this passage and through John's first, second, and third epistle, he's dealing with agape or agapao, God's love, God's unique divine love. And what God's unique divine love is in the person that it dwells is an evidence of being born again or a spiritual new birth. Do you see it? Everyone who agape, you and I can't possess agape love until, unless we are born a second time, a new birth spiritually. The phrase born again is used only three times in the entire New Testament. Do you know where they are? Some of you Bible students, I'm sure, do, as you refer to John's Gospel in chapter 3, when John was uh, reminding a very spiritual man, his name was? Yes, Nicodemus, who came by night to see Jesus. And knew that Jesus was a man of God, for no one could do these things, he said, unless God is with him. And Jesus told Nicodemus, two of the three in the New Testament are right there in John's Gospel, chapter 3, told him that, you know, most assuredly I say unto you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It takes a spiritual new, new birth Beloved, for you and I to be able to envision what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God. Different than the kingdoms of this earth. And as he explained that to him, he gave a comparison to how the wind blows And you don't know where it comes from until you see an evidence, right? An evidence. If uh, yesterday it was quite breezy. And if you look out at one of the trees and the, the tree is blowing this way to my left, then using a compass we can figure out which way the wind is blowing. Jesus said, you don't know where it's blowing. And he was referring to unless there is an evidence that one can calculate from the direction that the wind is coming from. And so it is in the person that that is born of God. There's an evidence in their life that they have been born anew, born a second time, not just physical, but now spiritual birth. There's an evidence in their life, one of which is this agape love. The third place that the phrase born again is in the New Testament, third and final place, is in uh, the Apostle Peter's first letter. In the first chapter, as he was writing about Christ and about being a follower of Christ, 
In the first chapter, verses 20 through 23, he said uh, that Christ indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you and I, who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. What kind of love is God's love like? It is an evidence of being born again, of a spiritual birth. How could you and I even endeavor to love others in the way that God loves unless the agape love of God dwells in us? It is an evidence of spiritual new birth. Secondly, this morning... It is God's solution for mankind's sin problem. Look at verse 9. Verses 9 and 10, John writes, he says, In this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and... Here's what he did uh, in his love for us. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love is the solution to man's sin problem. The word propitiation is such a big word. It's always, you know, taking me aback. You read it, it's not one we use in our common everyday language. What does it mean? Webster, interestingly enough, says that propitiation means the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. The act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. Well, in this context, it is the act of gaining the favor of God The original word actually means atonement, appeasement. And because God is holy and wants a relationship with mankind, he finds that man has a sin problem. He he has fallen because of sin. And sin separates Mankind from God. So God said, you know what? I'm going to solve this problem. He doesn't leave it to you and I to solve it. Can anybody say amen? He says, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to send my son to take the penalty to be the atonement and appease my need, my satisfy my need for sinlessness, for holiness, so that I can have a relationship with mankind. Someone once said the word for at, uh, atonement also means at one 
okay? So in the atonement of Jesus Christ, we are once again brought to be at one with God the Father. Just beautiful. And the Spirit of God tells us that God's love is the solution for mankind's sin problem. Third, God's kind of love is a motivation for our love toward others. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It is interesting that I don't know Greek. I think Pastor Austin knows Greek a lot better than I do. But what I do know about a couple of Greek words is, is has to do with this one word, if. Uh, it says, beloved, if God so loved us. That word can also be translated since. It is translated uh, if also in Matthew's gospel uh, chapter 4 as it relates to Satan's uh, tempting of Jesus. And Satan says to uh, Jesus, if you are the son of God, then cause these stones to be made bread, right? You've read that passage oftentimes. But it also it, it is better understood as transliterated since you are the son of God. Make these stones bread. So since God so loved us, or if, we also ought. And so this kind of love from God, it's a motivation for our love toward others. And notice that the, the Holy Spirit puts the word ought there. Why is that? Because it's a choice. God will not force you or I to love anyone. Because he will not force you or I to love him. It's a choice. And so the motivation of our love toward others is, is an outflow of this kind of love that God has for us. Some, you've heard the phrase, some people are easier to love than others. Well, maybe there's, um, you know, a, a, a little bit deeper insight to that is that some people require me to seek God more deeply in order to love them the way I know I should. It is an evidence of new birth. It is a solution to man's sin problem. It is a motivation of our love toward others. But also there's a fourth explanation or description in verses 12 through 15, we find that this kind of love of God allows us to see God's nature. Notice this, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So this love that is, is uh, a visual, it's a witness. It shows us God's nature because God can't be seen. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him, uh, Matthew tells us, in spirit. John tells us, in spirit and in truth. Uh, God is, is invisible in that way. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So here we have, um, in the display of the Father's love through the person of Christ, the Son of God, we see um, God's nature. His nature is to give. He's not a taking God. He's a giving God. He's not... Uh, after only just what he can get from you, he has already decided to give to you the most that he could ever give, which is his son. Gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever. There's a, a Christian rock band called the Whosoever's. And it comes from that phrase that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have Everlasting life, one of those verses that you and I can probably recite verbatim from memory from John 3.16, right? But how often do we just pass by that and not think that, that that's the nature of God is to give? His character, his nature is seen in his love gift of his son. Uh, fifth, we see what God is, and that was declared for us also in verse 8, that God is love. Notice verse 16. It's repeated. Uh, verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Uh, the description here is very simple. It's what God is. God is love. As we've declared in the previous passage, he's a giving God. His nature and his character is to give. That's how we see that he is a loving God. He is love, verse 16. Um, it's what God is. But we come to this sixth description in verse 17 that says this kind of love is able to embolden mankind to witness for Christ. Verse 17 love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You could highlight that or underline that because as he is 
so are we in this world. This kind of love of God should embolden, has the ability to embolden, can embolden, and will, if we will allow it, our witness for Christ. Our desire, our the logistics, the methods, all of that set to the side. If, if you understand or know and have encountered the deep, deep love of Christ, it will embolden you to share what God has done in your life and who he is with others. Now, this is where I come back to one of my opening statements that not everybody in the church, uh, not every Christian, let's say, because I don't want to say this church. I'm just saying in the church global, the church at large, let's say every Christian, not every Christian knows and walks in the unfettered love of God for them. Pastor, what do you mean? Perhaps you know someone, and I'm not speaking about anyone in this room or watching at home, but perhaps you know someone that struggles with confidence of God's love for them. That perhaps in their life they, they keep track of the mistakes rather than God's promise of love. They are, seem to always feel like they're falling short of what God wants instead of remembering it's not about what we do for God but what God has already done for us in the person of Christ. Maybe you know someone this morning that struggles with that love and if by chance you who are listening or in the sound of my voice uh, can say, well, you know what, he doesn't know, but that's me. What I want you to hear this morning is, is that his love is uncompromising. It has no end. Oh, how uh, high, how deep, how wide, how far. The love of God in Christ. And he wants each one of us each one of us to know that love deeply, to walk in that love daily, to not let the enemy rob us of, of he, the knowledge of that love for us because it emboldens us to say, yes, I belong to Jesus. Yes, I am a Christian. Yes, he has saved me from the penalty of my sin and he has promised me heaven and let me share with you who this God who loves me is. I think he wants us all to live there. To walk there. To be able to run there with others who want to walk there and live there and run there as well. Because it will embolden our witness for Christ now and on the day of judgment. Seventh description, as we move somewhat quickly, comes to us in verse 18, a description or uh, explanation of what this kind of God's love is like. Here's what a perfected love looks like. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but 
Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So what we have here is a a very clear picture in verse 18 and 19 of what a perfected love uh, looks like. And we are told in the previous verse uh, back here, um, where is that? In verse 12, when we're told uh, that no one has seen God at any time, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. It's It's an ongoing tense. In other words, uh, as his love is being perfected in us. Now in verse 18, we get this picture of what perfected love, God's perfected love in us. The word perfect there, uh, again, more accurately translated complete. And so there is no fear in, in complete love. But complete love casts out fear because fear involves torment. I don't know how many this morning might uh, grapple with uh, various fears uh, in your life, in our lives. Um, One of the biggest ones, more than likely, is a reality to each one of us in our appointment with death, right? Um, Perhaps... There is a fear of, of death. For the Christian, um, that God seeks to desi- desires that every uh, disciple of Christ, every child of God, would know uh, this perfect love, this complete love in their, in their heart. And therefore, that fear of death would be removed because a, a torment a person can be tormented by the fear of, of death itself. Um, my wife Sherry and I, we often say, you know, we're not afraid of death. We're just a little concerned about the process. In other words, how will it go? Uh, how long will it go? You know, what, what will it take? I, I just got such a thrill uh, from my brother, bless his soul, as he's with the heaven, as he's with the Lord this morning. But... When he was given, you know, the information that um, uh, Rick, uh, this uh, liver failure disease that you have is is not going to get better. In other words, I need to share with you uh, where this is headed is, is you will pass. And so, of course, there was some very intimate moments there where we would embrace that truth and and then try to move past it. But, but once we move past that, that kind of rock-solid shaking of, if you were told today you're going to die, you know, how would you react? Just think on that for a moment. And so once we got past that kind of rock-solid shaking, there were several times when 
I would say, well, how are we doing, Rick? And he would say, let's just get on with this, you know. I mean, he was ready to go. And why? Because perfect love had cast out fear in his heart. The love of Christ had displaced the fear of death. And when we examine the verse more closely or in detail, uh, let's be sure we understand, for instance, when it says in the latter portion of verse 18, but he who fears is not made perfect in love. The, the tense of this doesn't mean that if, if in a given moment there's, there's a, a fearful moment, oh, you're not, being made, you know, you're not per- made perfect in love. It's talking about someone who, who lives in the torment of fear. It's not talking about a momentary fear or even occasional fears that come, but someone who lives in the torment of daily ongoing fear. And God's offer to that individual, to you and to me and anyone in that uh, horrific place is to let his love be perfected in them. So yes, it allows us to see the nature of God. It is what God is. This kind of God's love emboldens us to, in our witness of God. It, it is a perfecting kind of love that dispels fear. But we find an eighth description in verses uh, 20 on through chapter 5, verse 1, that God's love is, is uh, without contradiction when it's applied. Notice verse 20. The Spirit of God writes through John. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You know, you don't want that phrase... uh, earmarked over you, you know, liar, liar, pants on fire, (laughs) because of a way in which you approach your brother or your sister. Oh, yeah, I love God, I love God, but you know that so-and-so, man, I just hate that. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, But that's so-and-so, I hate, you know, just John is saying, wait a minute, there's a contradiction in the individual's life if that is in fact the posture that the Christian is taking. And he's saying if, if someone says they love God but are saying also that they hate their brother, then that person is a liar about their love for God. That that statement that they love God is not true. 
Because he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must. Oh, now we've changed from ought to must. Where was ought? Um, We ought also. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought, we also ought to love one another. This is the commandment, verse 21, that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Okay, so here's this um, uncompromising command, right? In other words, there's, there's no leeway here. It's, it's a definite article. It tells exactly what we are to do. What happens if you or I don't find within us the ability or power to do this? So glad you asked because in essence, in reality, you and I cannot do this in our own strength. It would take the supernatural strength of an indwelling Christ by the person Spirit to obey this uncompromising command to love. Think of those who have hurt you this morning, who have treated you wrongly, who have deceived you, who have raked you over the coals verbally, who have uh, perhaps even physically harmed you and Here you are, God's child. And let's go ahead and say that they, he, she, is God's child as well. But you have honestly been ill-treated by them. Does that give you or I the right to hate them? To treat them any differently than someone that we easily get along with? Man, I find this to be the greatest challenge in my life today uh, with things that Sherry and I are just going through, the daily life that we're facing. We are to love. And that love is expressed. Um, So... He goes on in verse 1 of chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Another way of saying it's your brother, your sister, you must love them. And we'll close with this ninth description here in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5. Uh, This love of God is is a source of power to joyfully obey. We're talking about doing the impossible, knowing, uh, notice verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. This last phrase is what has always brought great joy to me. I hope it brings great joy to you. And his commandments are not burdensome. This love 
of God indwelling in us is to be a joyful, how can I obey you today, O oh God? Not a burden like, oh man, I got to do what God said I'm supposed to do. We, we need a paradigm shift if that's how you woke up this morning. And this is the paradigm shift right here. That his commandments would not be burdensome to us, but rather a joy. And so we, we find in this you know, passage, this evidence of spiritual new birth, uh, God's solution to mankind's problem of sin. We find our motivation uh, for loving others. We see the nature of God in it. We know that God is love. And that love emboldens our witness to others as we are being perfected uh, by that love without contradiction as we joyfully walk out our obedience to him. Beautiful little section there as we uh, focus on God's love. Will you join me as we close in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you this morning for the clarity of your servant, John. Lord, bringing to our, uh, our minds and bringing to our hearts the depth and breadth and height and width of this love of God in Christ. That it never fails you never fail, your love never fails, and that you have imparted the ability for that love to reign in us. Lord, you know every one of us here this morning. You know who of us needs a fresh baptism of your spirit. Your love might reign in our lives toward others. It's maybe there are some here this morning that are only thinking of those that they're struggling with. We ask, O oh God, as we close and, uh, with this prayer and this song, that Lord, you would make our hearts bigger. you would fill us with your love and perfect your love in us that we might spill over into others' lives. We'll thank you, Lord, because we know it's your heart. We ask you.